Good morning. It's Thursday, October 22nd. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. On Wednesday evening, U.S. national security officials announced both Iran and Russia are attempting to spread disinformation about the upcoming election. Here's Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe. We have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. According to U.S. intelligence officials, Iran is responsible for some Democratic voters receiving threatening emails. These emails were addressed from the far-right hate group called the Proud Boys, and they demanded these Democrats vote for President Trump. This email campaign is described by The Washington Post as being not very sophisticated, relying on publicly available voter data. This recent attack may have you thinking about how the U.S. is faring on the cyber battleground. In recent years, Washington has become an aggressive, offensive player in cyber warfare. In fact, a new article in Wired magazine written before the Iran news broke profiles one of the leading architects of America's cyber war strategy. His name is Paul Nakasani. He's the director of the National Security Agency, the NSA, and he runs the agency's Cyber Command. Wired reporter Garrett Graff didn't speak with Nakasone himself for this story, but he did interview dozens of current and former White House officials, intelligence agency staff, and military leaders. And by the way, this article is also one of our audio stories. You can listen to it in the audio tab on the Apple News app. Before 2016, the United States wasn't all that interested in launching cyber attacks on other countries or groups. It was more often on the defense. But Nakasone, according to Graf's reporting, advocated for a more aggressive strategy. Here is Nakasone in 2018 at his confirmation hearing for his role as the head of the NSA. What do you think our adversaries think right now? If you do a cyber attack on America, what's going to happen to them? So basically, uh, I would say right now, they do not think that much will happen to them. They don't fear us. They don't fear us. So is that good? It is not good, Senator. So will you Wired explains that? since Nakasone took the reins at the NSA, he's initiated more cyber attacks than the agency has in its entire history. The White House also gave him expansive powers. He can make executive decisions on offensive operations. To be clear, before Nakasone, the president would make those types of calls. When the U.S. learned Russia carried out sophisticated attacks in the 2016 election, Nakasone was the one who made the call to strike back. In the fall of 2018, he directed Cyber Command to target Russia's Internet Research Agency, IRA. Now, those are the hackers who reportedly interfered in the 2016 U.S. election. Cyber Command sent those hackers a direct message. We know who you are. The U.S. cyber war team took the IRA offline on Election Day 2018. Now Nakasone is saying Cyber Command is focused on the 2020 election. Protests against police brutality are not just happening in the U.S. For most of October, young people have been demonstrating all across Nigeria. They're demanding police reform. And on Tuesday, officers in Lagos reportedly pointed their weapons straight at crowds and just started shooting for 15 to 30 minutes. Bloomberg is reporting at least 50 people there are now dead. 
These young people have been rallying under the hashtag NSARS. Now, that refers to Nigeria's special anti-robbery squad. The Wall Street Journal provides a lot of good context here. SARS was, up until recently, a heavily armed police unit that was set up in the 1990s to combat violent crime. Amnesty International and other rights groups have documented the police unit's alleged violent and criminal behavior. And I'm talking about robbery, extortion, rape, and extrajudicial killings. Today's protests are a result of a video that emerged two weeks ago. In that video, you can see what looks like a SARS officer killing a man before leaving the scene of a crime. According to the journal, Nigeria hasn't seen protests as big as these in decades. And it says these demonstrations fit into an emerging pattern across the globe of youth-led calls for change, from Hong Kong to Sudan to Chile. Nigeria is a country with 206 million people, and the average age is 18 years old. Now, in response to these protests, the president, Mohamedou Buhari, announced that he's dissolving the SARS policing unit. But he said he's replacing it with another team called SWAT. And critics fear this is just a name change. The Wall Street Journal says this week's violence marks an uncertain turning point in this movement. It's not clear if the use of force will make protesters retreat or actually galvanize them. The demonstrators have gained international attention, too. Writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie wrote an op-ed in the New York Times recounting her own cousin's arrest by SARS. She says the Nigerian government is burning her country down. Mm. Celebrities like Beyonce, Rihanna, Kanye West, and Manchester United striker Odian Igalo have also spoken out against the government. I would say Nigerian government, you guys are ashamed to the world for killing your own citizens, sending military to the streets to kill unarmed protesters because they are protesting for their rights is uncalled for. The U.S. is facing another surge of coronavirus cases. We're now averaging 59,000 new cases a day. That's a roughly 70% increase in cases over the past month or so. But for the people who got sick months ago. Many of them still have lingering symptoms, and that includes a lot of doctors and medical professionals. They say it's given them a whole new outlook on how to provide care in this moment. These are the so-called COVID long haulers, and there's just so much we don't know about them, like how long the symptoms actually last or who is most at risk. Vox breaks down what we do know right now. Early studies show at least 10% of people who contract COVID-19 may experience symptoms for at least two months. And these symptoms vary. Some people have persistent fevers. Some have brain fog. Others feel fatigue. Others develop a heart condition known as tachycardia, which is when your heart rate can spike quickly if you walk up a flight of stairs or stand up too fast. The Wall Street Journal spoke with doctors who contracted COVID-19 and consider themselves long haulers. The doctors say even they are struggling to find good medical care. They created Facebook groups for support and have been advocating for more research into COVID's long-lasting symptoms. One doctor in the U.S., Jeffrey Siegelman, still has severe fatigue and heart palpitations. And he tells the journal being a long hauler has changed the way he thinks about his emergency room patients. And before he got sick, he admits he would discharge these patients whose symptoms couldn't be easily diagnosed, tell them to go see their primary care doctor. But now he says he's more sensitive to what these patients need to hear, which is whatever you're feeling, even if it can't be explained, it's real. 
And that can be validating for long haulers. And finally, another installment of a series we like to call, What's Your Excuse? At 94 years old, Mildred Madison had her son drive her more than 600 miles round trip across three states. She did this to make sure she could cast her ballot. That's right. Mildred lives in Detroit, but she's been staying with her son in Illinois. And she requested an absentee ballot by mail, but it never arrived. So she insisted she had to get back to Detroit to vote in person. Mildred tells CNN over the past 72 years, she's never missed an election at the national, state or city level. And she's been politically active most of her life. She got her start in the PTA, sat on various boards of election and became the first black president of the Cleveland's League of Women Voters. She even worked to bring a presidential debate between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter to the city. And she is not done yet. CNN says she's hoping to open a center for civic engagement to teach young people the value of voting and getting involved in their communities. So listen, if Mildred could do it, travel across multiple state lines just to cast her vote, what's your excuse? You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. And tonight, for the second and final presidential debate, we'll be providing minute-by-minute coverage, context, and fact-checking on our Apple News Live blog. You can find that and more starting tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 